0: What's up, everyone? Good morning and welcome to our Sunday morning online Water's Edge worship experience. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. For those of you that participated in our food pantry this week, thank you so much. It was a huge success. We got to feed so many people based off of your love and your servanthood and your generosity. So for those of you that continue to be generous and you give online, thank you so much for that. You've allowed us to bless and help so many people this week in our community. For those of you that continue to tune in and share these links with your friends, thank you so much for that. People are tuning in all over Louisiana, but also all over America. So welcome today. We hope this helps you out. Most of us wake up every day, and we hope that today will be better. We hope that today will be more peaceful. We hope that today will be easier than yesterday. We hope that this week will be better than last week, and we hope that this year will be better and easier than last year, but life can be challenging and those challenges can produce questions in our heart, questions about life, questions about the world, questions about our future, questions about God, questions about our faith. I remember several years ago, I was counseling and I was organizing A youth camp at Dry Creek. And one of my good friends was there who was also a minister. And one day we were outside playing basketball and we sat down in between games and we were just talking about life and God and those types of things. And he looked at me and he asked me a question. He goes, hey, why do we pray? I said, man, what do you mean? You're a pastor. Why are you asking me this? He goes, but really, why do we pray? He said, if God knows everything and God's in control of everything and God's sovereign and God's pretty much going to do what he wants for his glory, then why do we pray? And I remember thinking, and I gave him this answer. I said, well, I don't, I don't pray to get God to necessarily do anything. I said, I just pray to get to know God. Uh, I just pray to walk with him and to be intimate with him. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, I, I see your point. But that night when everything was over, I started to think about that question about God that he asked me. And I think it sort of comes down to this. I think it comes down to the way people view God. And the way we actually view God can either add to our pain and our confusion in this world, or it can heal our pain and our confusion in this world. Is Jesus, is God the puppet master who's pulling all the strings in our life and in our world because he can do what he wants? Or does he work in our life and in our world and in creation in a different way? And have you ever been through something and deep in your soul you just wanted to know why? I know that I have. I've wanted to know why. There have been things that have happened to me in this life. I didn't cause it. I didn't do anything to create it, but it happened to me, and I wanted to know why. We go through painful things in this life. In Psalm chapter 22, and when you read through the book of Psalms, it reads like a very real prayer journal, of a very real broken human. I mean, at one moment in the Psalms, the Psalmist is saying, God, we love you and we thank you for delivering us. And then in the very next chapter, the same Psalmist says, but you've left us out in the desert to rot. It was just the Psalms are just very real prayers that were recorded for us, people just being real with God. And in Psalm chapter 22, we find a person in the Bible that's described as someone after God's own heart. In fact, it's the only person ever described as someone after God's own heart in the Bible. His name is David, and David was a king, and he was running for his life, and he was experiencing heartache and pain and darkness, and he was hiding in caves. And in Psalm chapter 22, we find David starts to pray a very... Painful prayer. And he starts off his prayer with a very painful but blunt question. And this is what it is Psalm 22, verses 1 through 11. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and they were saved. They trusted in you and they were never disgraced. But I am a worm. I'm not even a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you have brought me safely from my mother's womb to lead me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Do not stay so far away from me for trouble is near. Don't stay so far away, God. I'm in trouble and no one else can help me. This is pain. This is real life. This is confusion. He starts off his prayer saying, God, why have you bailed on me? Why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God has left you and bailed on you and abandoned you? He goes, I cry for help. Where are you? I groan for help. In the morning, I cry out to you. You're not there. You don't listen throughout the day. At night, when I lay down, I cry out to you. You're not there. You don't listen. Have you ever been through that? Have you ever cried out to God and the only thing you got back was the silence of God? And then he gets sarcastic. I hear grandma and grandpa. I hear my ancestors say that they trusted in you and you delivered them. I hear all the stories of faith and how you came through for people, yet you're not doing it for me. I mean, even my enemies are mocking me saying, where's your God now? And then he says, how long will you stay so far away? You're a million miles away, it feels like. This is pain. This is life. This is confusion. What do you do when life is this way? And I guess the real question is, when God when God is working in our life, but we don't feel it, what's he up to? And when life is confusing and painful, where is God? Why does he feel so far away? This is what I think. When we go through heartache and pain, when life doesn't make sense and we want to know where is God, it feels like God has bailed on me and it feels like he has left me. Where is he? This is what I think. So we fast forward to the New Testament and we find Jesus who's the son of God, God in the flesh in the garden and he's sweating drops of blood because he's under so much anxiety. And then he's arrested and he's put on trial. He's stripped naked in front of the thousands. He's beat bloody. He has a poisonous crown of thorns put on his head. He's flogged. He has the skin ripped off of his back. He's nailed to the cross. He's nailed to wood. He's publicly executed. It was the most excruciating physical way to die, excruciating pain. And as he's dying, he starts to pray from the cross. And as he's praying, you would think the Son of God is going to say something very profound. And at first he does. He says, Father, forgive all of them for they don't even know what they're doing. But then he says this, he starts to pray. Notice this, Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Allah, Allah, Lama Sabathani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus, The Son of God is asking the Father why. He's quoting David, asking the Father why. Why have you left? Why have you abandoned me? Have you ever cried all night because you didn't know what else to do? Have you ever prayed and cried out to God and the only thing you got back was silence? Have you ever wanted to walk into your backyard and shake your fist at the sky and say, God, you bailed on me. God, you left me. God, you're gone. Have you ever been through that? Have you ever just felt like God was a million miles away? Here's the kicker. So has Jesus. And have you ever just wanted to know why? Why am I going through this? Here's the kicker. So has Jesus. So this is what I think. I think when you and I go through heartache and pain and it feels like God's a million miles away, I think when you shed a tear, Jesus sheds a tear. I think when you hurt, he hurts. And I think when you feel like he's as far away as the moon, that he's probably closer to you than he's ever been before. And he pulls a seat up right next to yours at your table and he wraps his arm around you and he tells you that he loves you. Because everyone in the crowd had the Old Testament memorized by the time they were 17 if they were Jewish. And when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Every person knew he's quoting David as if to say, he hurts like we hurt. He has questions like we have questions. He wants to know why like we want to know why. We can trust this God. We can trust him. But also think think about this. Sometimes you have no idea what God's up to until it's over. And you look back and the smoke is cleared. Jesus had some good friends in the New Testament. Mary and Martha, they were sisters. They had a brother named Lazarus. Mary and Martha one time had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and he needed to hurry up and get here because if he didn't get here on time, our brother Lazarus is gonna die. Get here on time. Please hurry, he's sick and dying. And you know what the Bible says? It says that Jesus was late. He showed up late. Lazarus already died. And when Mary and Martha saw Jesus finally approaching, it says that they ran to him and they cried. And the word picture we get in the Greek is this violent, emotional outburst of emotion and tears. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw them, that he wept with them. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. Whenever you go through a struggle in life, eventually there's always going to be some sort of resurrection, either here on earth or where heaven resides. But something's going to be made new, but many times you don't see it in the pain until the smoke clears and you look back. So how does God work? Well, in three major ways. Notice this today if you're still with me, Sam's so still with you. He creates, he instills, and he renews. Now, in the text, we see God as the creator. Genesis 1:1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God Creates Now, in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, we see this. We have a God who instills. We can rejoice, though, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly loved God loves us, because he has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, to instill means to firmly establish truth into the heart of someone else. And so, God's constantly instilling into his creation and instilling into you and I hope, strength, faith. But he's also a God who renews. All throughout the scripture, it talks about how God renews our mind, he renews our strength, he renews our salvation, he renews our life. He is a God who makes all things new. So, either God controls everything that happens. Good or bad, and God causes everything that happens, good or bad, like a puppet master. Or God works in a different way, like this, and this is what we should believe, this is what I believe, and remember this today. God created everything, He also created and instilled principles into the universe that determine how life and creation work. If we apply these principles in the right way, it pays off if we apply them in the wrong way, they backfire. These principles that God has instilled into the universe when he created the universe, they're not bad, they're not good, they just are. They're not just for people of faith and they're not just for people who do the right thing. They're not bad, they're not good, they're just true. They just are. And so in this series, I wanna talk to you about these very specific principles that when God created everything, including you and I, He instilled these principles into creation, into the universe. And if you and I will follow these principles in the correct way, it'll open up doors in our life for God to work. It'll open up doors in our life for growth and peace and hope and purpose and significance. Or if we apply them in the wrong way, it'll close the doors in our life for God to work in peace and hope and significance. And so in this series, I want to teach you about these God-instilled principles that many times when we apply them in the right way, that's when we say, God is working in my life. I don't believe that God's pulling all the strings. And in this series, we're going to talk about that. I don't believe that God causes evil, bad things to happen. I don't believe that whatsoever. I believe that God creates, he instills and he renews and he calls us to follow him. Now, when you feel like God is your critic, then you feel constant shame all the time and you cannot go forward. Shame will rob your heart of change. So today I wanna talk to you about the first principle and this first principle is how to create lasting change in your life and it'll guarantee, it'll open the door for God to work in your life, faith to come into your life, peace, hope and strength to come into your life or if you apply it in the wrong way, it'll close the door for these things to come into your life and so this is what the principle is and remember this today, if you're still with me, Sam's still with you. Obsession is when you do something that you love and you excel at it. But discipline is when you do something that you don't necessarily love or like, but you excel at it. And in this life, we need both. We need both obsession and discipline. And we need to be balanced with both. And let me explain to you why. Now, this principle of the balance between obsession and discipline will open up so many doors for God to work in your life and for you to experience peace, hope, significance, and purpose. But here's the deal. There's going to come a time in your life when you are obsessed with Jesus, obsessed with worshiping Jesus, obsessed with serving Jesus, obsessed with your relationship with Jesus, obsessed with loving other people properly and doing good and serving people. And so you go all in. And your obsession causes you to grow and have these amazing experiences with God. But then there comes a time when that obsession starts to fade a little bit. And now all of a sudden, you still love it, but you're getting tired and you're getting exhausted, but you still want to serve Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus. And this is when the discipline has to take over. No one ever accomplished anything significant in this life because they felt like it. The people in this world who've always done big things in this world, they did things because they had this balance between their obsession and their discipline. When they were obsessed with something good, they went all in. And when their obsession started to go away, their discipline kicked in, and they kept going and marching forward and fighting and getting up again and again and again until they overcame, until they had victory, until they had success, and until they had growth. And so let's look at our life right now. I want you to understand a few things. Number one is this. To go forward in this life, you need balance. Not everyone's going to remain a devoted Christian, devoted to life change. Not everyone's going to remain positive or compassionate or dedicated to a better future. And so I want to share with you how you and I can make it last, how we make our faith last, our hope last, relationships last, our goals and vision last. And this is how. It's not all or nothing It's marching forward with a devoted discipline in your life that takes over when your obsession starts to fade. It's not all or nothing. There's gonna be times when you're obsessed. There's gonna be times when you have to get up and force yourself. The principle that God instilled in the universe is if you discipline yourself, disciples, discipline, disciples, discipline, that you will absolutely fling the doors wide open in your heart for God to work and for you to experience life change. So let me just share this with you today. Allowing your discipline to take over when your feelings start to fade will always open the door in your life for growth, success, progress, and for God's work. If you don't, it'll shut the door. And let me tell you this, your life will end up somewhere, but it won't end up in the place that you want it without discipline and balance. And so many people today start off with an obsession and they have so many dreams and they have so many visions and they have so many goals for their life, but they don't know what to do when that obsession starts to fade a little bit. And it could be in any area of your life. It could be your marriage, could be your career, could be your business, could be your parenting. It could be your faith. It could be anything. And that's when most people start to try to figure out, oh, I need to get God in my life. I need to get God in my life. And so a lot of times when we start to try to deal with those things, we make bad, bad choices, bad things happen, and we think that God's just our critic, God's against us, and God's causing bad things to happen, when in reality, it's just that we didn't apply the principle in the correct way. When your obsession starts to fade, your discipline has to take over. 1 Timothy 4, 7, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself Discipline yourself. God instilled this principle into the universe. This is how God works. Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. All throughout the Bible, it talks about how we control ourselves. We discipline ourselves. When our obsession fades, our discipline takes over. 1 Corinthians nine twenty four through 27. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize, so run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. I train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. The Apostle Paul said this, God instilled this principle into the universe that if you discipline yourself and train yourself, it's always gonna open the door for God to move and work in your heart and peace and purpose and significance and growth in your life. And this is the last one, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection because I haven't, but I press on to possess that perfection or maturity for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I forget my past. I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize, which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I press on. I work. I move. I train myself. I discipline myself. Some of you right now have this obsession for Jesus and faith in your life. That's amazing. Go all in. Grow as fast as you can. There will come a day when your obsession fades. Life is challenging. Life hurts. What are you going to do then when you don't feel like it? What are you going to do then when you don't want to? If you don't discipline yourself then, if it doesn't take over then, then you're going to shut that door in your life. And you're going to convince yourself that God's against you when the whole time he gave you a principle to follow that would open the door wide open. If the, if the obsession fades, your discipline takes over. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope this has helped you out. We love you. Can't wait to see you back next week.